to it. Last week, we talked about bringing your faith to fruit, developing fruit out of your faith. Because how many know faith is a medium of exchange in the spirit? It's the same thing in the spirit to what money is in the natural. I mean, understand, money doesn't answer all things. It's a means to the end. You simply exchange money for the things that you need. You can't live in money. You can't drive money. You can't wear money. So if you don't understand how to use money, having money means nothing at all. The same thing with faith. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't learn how to trade faith for the things you need, you're never going to see faith turn into fruit in your life. And we talked about the seed of faith, the word of God. You know, Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. For years of my life, I spoke that message thinking that the word of God there was the Greek word logos. There's, there's two Greek words for God's word. One is logos, the other is rhema. Logos is the entire written word of God, the Bible. Rhema is the personal word of God. It is a revelation word of God to you. For years of my life, I believed if people weren't seeing miracles, if people weren't seeing their faith answered it because they weren't in logos. They weren't obeying the word. They weren't living by the word. They weren't reading the word. They weren't memorizing the word because if you were obedient to the word, your faith would work. But there's nothing further from the truth. Because in Romans ten seventeen it says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by rhema. The good news of Christ is what Paul was talking about there. What was the good news of Christ? Grace. Faith doesn't operate through obedience. Faith operates through grace. You cannot earn faith. You cannot work for faith. You can't be good enough to make faith work in your life. You simply have to have a revelation of God's grace and God's love for you. That is the seed of faith, grace, not works. You know, if you could be made righteous through the law, then Christ died in vain. It's all about grace. And today I want to talk about the fight of faith, how to trigger your faith, how to make faith work in your life. Because how many of you understand, at some point in your life, you're going to have to have a fight of faith. At some point in your life, faith becomes a fight. You know, you're struggling. Maybe you're facing unemployment. You're facing a disease. You're facing a a broken marriage. At some point, you're going to have to learn to fight with your faith because faith is not just a simple walk down Candyland Lane. Faith is a fight. It is a fight to see the thing you're hoping for come to fruition in your life, to see the fruit of your faith. It is a fight. That's why Paul, when he's discipling young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Hold on to it. To which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Faith is how we get answers. Now, I want you to understand this morning, God moves in three different forces. There are three forces that God moves by. One is love. Another is hope. And lastly, you have faith. God moves through love, hope, and faith. And let me describe those to you. As a father, I now have a... uh, a son that's about to be three years old. I love him dearly. He is the funniest little dude I've ever seen. I mean, just so full of life and energy, and I love that kid. Love is a motivation. Now, imagine with me, my son grows up, and he's no longer two and a half. He's now 20 years old, and he wants to get married. Well, 20 may be a little too young to get married, because he I don't think Amanda's going to let him leave the house at 20. Maybe 45, when Amanda's finally ready to let him go and get married. Now, I love him so much, and so my love motivates me to want to build a house for my son. 
Love is the motivation. I want to build a house for my son. But how many know love is not enough to build a house? Love is a great motivation, but love will not build a house. Love is just the motivating factor. What I need to do next is I need to have hope. What is hope? Hope is the substance, or faith is the substance of things hoped for. We talked last week, if there's nothing you're believing for, if there's nothing you're hoping for, if there's not a miracle that you need in your life, faith means nothing at all because faith is the substance of what you're hoping for. What is hope? Hope is the blueprints. Hope is when I sit down with the architect and we begin to design the house. We want four rooms or five rooms. We want the fireplace to be located here. We want this many bathrooms. Hope is the blueprint. So love is the motivation to build the house. Hope is the blueprint of the house. But how many know love and hope is still not enough? We're not going to get a house with blueprints. We're not going to get a house with motivation. I have to release the construction crew. How do I release the construction crew? With faith. See, faith is what releases the construction crew to start laying a foundation, to start building walls. If I don't pick up the phone and say, get started, that is faith. If I don't have faith, then love and hope are simply not enough. That's why you have to have faith. Now I want to look at the process of faith and how it works according to the Bible. We're going to look at Mark chapter 11 this morning. If you have a Bible... Turn to Mark chapter 11 because it's a great passage that Jesus teaches us how faith works in our life. Now, I want you to understand something about Christ. Jesus did a number, many, hundreds probably, of instant miracles. Do you understand what I'm saying? Instant miracles, miracles that were instantaneous. There was a blind eye, and Jesus prayed for the blind eyes, and boom, they popped open instantaneously. There was a lame man crippled from birth, and Jesus healed the man, and he stepped up, and he started walking immediately. They were instant miracles, miracles that it didn't take any process of time for the miracle to happen. Simply believe, spoke, and boom, the man was healed. Miracles happen instantaneously. So do you understand? There are many times, in fact, John said, That if we wrote all of the miracles down that Jesus performed, we wouldn't even have enough books to write them all. I mean, you wouldn't even believe half of the miracles that Jesus did if we put them down. It was like, you know, there there was a kid that came home from Sunday school one day and the dad asked him, well, what did you learn in Sunday school? And he said, well, we learned about Moses and the skin divers. And the father said, Moses and the skin divers, what? I I never read that. What was Moses and the skin? He said, well, you you see, God, you, you see, dad. Moses and the Israelites were trying to escape Egypt. They were trying to get away from the evil Pharaoh. And they were running out of town. And they came to this giant sea, the Red Sea. And they didn't know how they were going to get across. So Moses sent skin divers into the water. And they built bridges underwater that came up to the top. So all the Israelites could walk across the Red Sea. Then when they got across, they blew up the bridges so that the Egyptians drowned in the sea. And the dad said, is that really what your Sunday school teacher taught you? He said, no, but if I told you what she said, you'd never believe me. (laughs) See, if they wrote down everything Jesus did, you'd never believe it all. Jesus did hundreds of instant miracles. But what I want you to notice today is that when Jesus starts teaching us about faith, when Jesus teaches us the process of faith, how faith works, he didn't choose an instant miracle to teach on faith. He chose a process to teach on faith. Why? Because faith is not a magic wand. Faith is not a magician that just poof and whatever you want appears. Faith 
is a process, and if you do not understand and learn the process of faith, you're going to get discouraged. You're, you know, the Bible says hope deferred makes a heart sick. You're going to get sick unless you learn the process of faith. If you're expecting it to happen instantaneously, hope deferred makes a heart sick. So let's look. Mark chapter 11. Look at verse 12 with me. Beginning in verse 12, we're going to read a couple verses. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Jesus cursed the fig tree, and his disciples heard it. Now I want you to drop down to verse 20 with me, and we're going to pick up the rest of the story the following day. Now, this is the next morning. This is the very next day. See, day one, Jesus curses the fig tree and let no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, they went to bed. They slept. It's a new day. And the story continues in verse 20. Now, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw a fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And the literal translation of this passage, if you go back to the literal Greek, it's not just have faith in God, but it also means have the faith of God. Have God's faith. Not just have faith in God, but have God's faith in you. Have the faith of God. And let me explain the power of that statement. If you trust in your faith, how many know your faith will fail you? Human faith is not enough to see fruit happen from the thing you're hoping for. You need to have divine faith in your life. If you don't have God's faith, your faith is going to fail you. And the beauty of that is you don't have to doubt God's faith. You may doubt your faith, but if you have God's faith, you don't have to doubt God's faith. And that's why Jesus said have God's faith. Have the faith of God. See, Colossians 2.10 says when you are born again, the Bible said you receive the fullness of Christ. That means you have all the faith you will ever need inside of you right now. That means you as a believer, you as a Christian this morning, you have the opportunity, you have the right, and Jesus actually commands you to walk around with God's faith in your life. How many know when you have God's faith, things happen? When you have God's faith, mountains move. When you have God's faith, giants fall. When you have God's faith, power begins to flow in your life. Jesus, or in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, it talks about Jesus. Hebrews 12 and verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the author or the originator of faith. He is the finisher or developer of faith. That means you don't have to walk around with your faith anymore. You can walk with God's faith. You can have Jesus who is the author and finisher. If you are in Christ, if you are a new creation, if anybody be in the spirit, then you have the faith of God inside of you, which is a powerful thing. Because how many know you don't have to doubt God's faith? But you have to get it. You have to understand it's not your faith. It's God's faith. Because if you look at it as your faith, then it's no wonder you're not seeing miracles. Stop believing in your faith and start believing in God's faith. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, 
be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Now, I'm enunciating some words on purpose there. We'll come back to that in a minute. Therefore, I say to them, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, I want you to remember again, Christ did not use an instant miracle to teach about faith. This was not an instantaneous thing. In fact, when Jesus spoke to the fig tree, nothing visible happened. When Jesus cursed the fig tree, you could not see anything happen with the human eye. Nothing visible occurred. And he chose this process to teach you and I how faith works. Because faith is a process. Faith is not an instantaneous thing. Faith is not a magic wand. Faith is not a magician that just says abracadabra and poof, whatever you want appears. That is not how faith works. It is a process. And the first thing I want you to realize about faith, number one, faith has to be released. There has got to be a trigger. There has got to be something that activates your faith, that releases your faith. See, when Jesus released his faith, the Bible says he spoke to the fig tree. And when he spoke, power was released in the atmosphere. Power was released at the spoken word of Christ. And let me explain that. You know, I grew up in Texas, but my wife, she's the real Texan. And her family, well, I'm not going to you know, she gets mad when I call them rednecks, so I'm not going to call them rednecks, but I'll let you decide. You can be the judge. I remember when I first started dating my wife, we showed up at her grandfather's ranch out in East Texas, and her two little cousins, Buck and Luke, actual names, Buck and Luke, were riding around the backyard on little motorcycles. They were probably six and seven years old, wearing boxer shorts, cowboy boots, and had shotguns strapped to their back with string. And just riding around the yard shooting anything they can see. I mean, you want to talk about the ultimate Texas family. You go to her granddad's house and you will see every animal in the world mounted on the wall except for dinosaurs. I mean, they have killed. If it lived, they've killed it. I mean, they are hunters to the core. And, and you go to the gun cabinet, it's like a little militia army back there. I mean, there are more guns and they've got some amazing guns. They've got rifles that can shoot over a mile. Now, I want you to imagine real quick, me out there hunting, me. No, I'm not, I'm not you know, don't, don't imagine that. I'll probably, you know, I'll, I'll be like Dick Cheney and shoot my friend. Um, sorry, that was a low blow. I love Dick Cheney. He's awesome. He just doesn't have great aim. Um, see, Bush would have never done that. Bush knew how to shoot. He, wore, he grew up on a ranch. I love Bush. He's a real Texan. Anyways, uh, so imagine me out there with my rifle, and I've got my rifle. It's the most powerful rifle out there. I've got the ammunition. I've got the scope. I've got, you know, the deer in my sight, and I'm sitting there with this powerful rifle, and I'm looking at this deer, and nothing's happening. Nothing. I mean, I've got the most power. This rifle shoots over a mile. I mean, I've got all the ammunition. I've got all the power. I'm, I'm just imagining that deer falling down. I'm, I'm just thinking about that deer falling down. I'm just believing that this rifle can shoot that deer. I mean, I, I have the faith. I mean, I believe the rifle will shoot the deer, and nothing's happening. Why? Because I'm not pulling the trigger. How many realize if I, don't, if I don't pull the smallest part of that weapon, 
If I don't pull that little metal, little thing sticking out, looks like a tongue, if I don't pull that little trigger, nothing happens. I can have the most powerful rifle in the world, but if I don't pull the trigger, nothing happens. In the same way, your tongue is like that little trigger. Your tongue is like that little trigger. You see, you have to pull your tongue for faith to be released. See, go back to verse 23 and 24 with me, and let's look at how faith works. Let's, let's look at how many times he says the word saying as opposed to believing. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. It does not say you will have whatever you believe. It does not say you will have whatever you think. It says you will have whatever you say. If you don't say anything, nothing's going to happen. And the sad reality today is most Christians fail to operate their faith correctly because they never say anything. Say anything. It's not that they don't believe anything. They never say anything. They never speak anything. And I don't understand why this is such a hard concept for us to grasp today because when God created the entire world, he didn't think the world into existence. He spoke the world into existence. He didn't say, let me think about there being light. He said, let there be light and light was. He spoke it. And the only thing I can think of that has kept us from really understanding this principle is because Satan has attacked this principle more than anything else in the body of Christ, and he's perverted it. And you've got people on TV saying, just name it, claim it. I want a Ferrari. I want a Ferrari. I want a Ferrari. They have a Ferrari. I have a Ferrari. And all of a sudden, a Ferrari magically appears in my parking lot. See, that's not what this is talking about. But if you want to release your faith, if you want to trigger your faith, you have to say something. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3 says, By faith, we understand that the world was framed by the word of God. The worlds were framed by the word of God. That's why we're so intentional about our vocabulary around here. Because our words frame our world. When we use words like, I'm so busy, I'm framing my world with limitations. When I say things like my, you know, my, uh, I got so much on my plate, I'm framing my world with limitations. When I say things like it's easier said than done, I'm framing my world with limitations. So you've got to be very careful about the words you use and the words you speak because your words frame your world. You are either speaking life or death into your situation. You are either being a big frame around your world. See, the worst thing you can do is build a house with too small of a frame. See, people think it's big enough, and then as soon as the home is built, the frame is too small, and so the house is too small. You've got to make sure your words are creating the frame you want to live in. If you want to live in a little shack, speak negativity over your life. Because you will frame your world by your words. And so in this passage, in this story with the fig tree... It is only natural that the fig tree responded to Christ's words because it was Christ that created his grandfather in the first place. John chapter 1 and verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus created everything. His words, the, 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 the words of God created everything, so it was only natural that that which was created responds to the voice of that which created it. So when Jesus spoke, when he spoke out loud, he didn't, he didn't imagine the fig tree being cursed. He didn't think cursed to the fig tree. He spoke it. 
See, we like to pray inside our mind, don't we? I, I mean, so many times I go to a restaurant and, I, and I, I see Christians like this. And they just think their prayer. But the problem with that is that begins to take place in every area of your life. And we think we can think prayers, but you're not releasing anything until you speak it because it's the spoken word. Jesus didn't say you're going to have whatever you believe. He says you're going to have whatever you say. There's got to be an element of the spoken word for faith to be released. Second thing I want to look at is when Jesus spoke to the fig tree, when he cursed the fig tree, nothing visible happened. Nothing visible occurred. It was only until the next day that they came back and they saw the fig tree dried up and withered away that they could actually say something happened. See, Mark 11 and verse 21, Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Let me ask you, was it Peter's acknowledgement of the fig tree being cursed, or was it Jesus speaking to the fig tree that made it cursed? See, anybody can acknowledge the miracle after it's happened. Anybody can walk up to you after God's given you the miracle, after God's answered your prayer, and say, oh, I prayed for you. Anyone can acknowledge that. But it's not the same as being in the middle of it, fighting that fight of faith, holding on for dear life, believing God to give you that thing which you're hoping for, because if he doesn't, you're through. See, it's really easy to acknowledge the prayer request, but it's different to see it happen. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 26. I want to teach a little bit more on this process. Jesus teaches a little bit more about how this operates, how this physically happens in the world that we live in. Jesus said in Mark 4, 26, the kingdom of God is as. Now, let me stop there really quick, and you've got to understand something as a believer. The way the kingdom works is not the way the world works. See, there are certain things that you have been taught in the world, and oftentimes the way it works in the kingdom is complete opposite. Like Proverbs says, there is somebody that scatters or gives away. Now, the world says if you give away what you have, you're going to have less. You know, if I have 10 and I give away 9, that leaves me with 1, right? Well, the Bible says there is somebody who scatters and yet increases more. The Bible also says there's somebody who withholds more than what is right. Now, the world tells me if I hold on to what I have, then I have possessions. But the Bible says if I withhold more than what is right, it leads me to poverty. See, the way the kingdom works is oftentimes the opposite of the way the Bible works. You know, I counsel a lot of people, and I hear this over and over, I'm trying to be a better man, I'm trying to be a better man, or I'm trying to be a better woman. Because the world tells you the way to improve yourself is through trying. The, the way you approve yourself is through trying. You've got to work harder. You've got to try harder. You need to get the seven steps of being a highly effective person in you because that's how you become better. And the kingdom is the complete opposite. The kingdom, you're not supposed to try. You're supposed to get in Christ because if you get in Christ, you change. You can't work for the fruit. You can't earn the fruit. You get in the spirit and the fruit becomes manifest in your life. So the way the kingdom works is oftentimes completely opposite of the way the world works, and that's why so many people in the church are confused. Now look at this, Mark four twenty six. The kingdom of God is as is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. We're talking about farming. A farmer plants seed on the ground. Now, 
let me, let me just say something real quick. I have never seen a farmer get upset and get angry that five minutes after he planted seed, he didn't see anything happen. How many know what I'm saying? He, he plants the seed, you know, he goes and gets a glass of lemonade, he comes back and he gets angry at God. Nothing, where's the corn? I don't see anything. Why isn't the seed growing? Why isn't something happening? I don't see anything. I planted the seed five minutes ago. By now I should have a harvest. How many know farmers don't do that? They understand the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is a process. 427, look at this, Mark 427. And the farmer should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, and he himself does not know how. Let me, let me explain something. You don't have to know how God's going to do it. We have people in this church right now staying up all night long worrying about this, worrying about that. I don't know how God's going to answer this prayer. I don't know how God, you know, people struggling with situations from diseases to, to, to addictions to broken marriages to unemployment. They're losing sleep at night trying to figure it all out. And the farmer, he doesn't know how it happens. He doesn't know how the seed works. All he knows is it works. He's not losing sleep at night. Let me give you a word from God for you this morning. Sleep. Sleep at night. Don't stay awake worrying about how God's going to do it. The farmer doesn't know. All he knows is he plants the seed and it's going to take place. So all my job is is to go sleep at night and get up the next day. Don't stay up sweating all night, having nightmares, worrying, losing sleep. It doesn't matter how God's going to do it. All you need to know is that he, he may blow your mind. with how, He may do it differently. You're trying to figure out how he's going to do it. It's not your job to know how he's going to do it. The farmer, he himself, does not know how. It says he should sleep by night. That is God's word for some of you this morning. You need to go and sleep tonight. Stop staying up all night trying to figure out how God's going to answer your prayer. Look at 28 and 29. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Understand this. God is saying that the earth... The world we live in is commanded by God to provide for us. God has commanded this world to provide for us. And the seed, once it intersects the earth, once your faith is released out into the world, once your seed intersects the world, seed intersects the earth, there are forces that God has appointed, that God has ordained to respond to the seed. There are forces that God has ordained to respond to the seed. And why is he saying this? Because the stuff in the world is designed to respond to the word of God. And it is only natural for the things which God created to respond to the creator's voice, to respond to his word, because he created them in the first place. But this doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't work for everyone. Who does it work for? John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done. That's the key, abiding. Now, it doesn't say if you obey me. It says if you abide in me. We're not talking about the law. So get that out of your mind. This is a grace result. It is a result of abiding in him, and he accepts us freely, the Bible says. So you don't have to work to abide in him. You don't have to obey to abide in him. All you got to do is get in him. If you will get in him, the Bible says you are a new creation. That's who this works for. 
So what I have to do when I start the process, when I release the seed, when I speak it out, whatever I'm believing for, is i got to leave it alone and not interrupt it. Now, growing up, my brother and I did the science experience. How many ever did the science experiment with the styrofoam cups? You get the dirt, you put the seed in, you water it, you put the cup up in your window. Anyone ever do that experiment growing up? My brother and I did that experiment growing up. We got our styrofoam cups, we planted the dirt, we put the seed inside, watered it, put it up in the window seal. Every day we watered it a little bit, and we were just watching the process of seed and and watching the beans sprout and watching the little leaf start to pop out of the ground and grow. And every day, it took about two weeks for it to finally pop up. Every day we would watch our cups. About two weeks later, I had a leaf that started popping out of the ground. My brother's cup had nothing. A couple days after that, I've I've got a little bean stalk coming right up out of the dirt. My brother's cup, nothing's happening. And we couldn't figure out because it's the same seed, it's the same dirt, it's the same cup, it's the same water. Mine is producing fruit. Nothing is happening to his. And then we finally figured it out. We caught him one day. One day he was, every day what he would do is he would go into the room, he would get his cup out of the windowsill, he would dig up the seed, he would look at it, try to figure out how it was working, then he'd put it back in the dirt, cover it back up, and put it in the windowsill. How many of you are doing that with your seed all the time? Instead of just trusting God, instead of just letting God, instead of just going to sleep, you're staying up all night worrying. What are you doing? You're digging up your seed, trying to figure out how it's going to grow, how God's going to answer, how you're going to get that miracle. You're you're, you're laying awake at night. You're in cold sweats. You're worrying about whatever situation's in front of you. And what you need to do is just sleep. Just get some rest. Wake up the next day. God's going to take care of it. Fight the good fight of faith. See, when you're fighting the good fight of faith, what you need to understand is you're not fighting to get anything. When you fight the fight of faith, you're not fighting to get anything. You're fighting to hold on to what you already have. You're fighting to hold on to it. Let me see my rope. This is not a real cowboy rope. This is a California rope. It's purple. It's not a Texas rope. California rope here. Now imagine me as the cowboy. This, this rope is my faith. This is my faith. And I want you to imagine me being a good cowboy and knowing how to rope right. It's not, it's not my fault today. It's the rope's fault. I don't have a real rope. Actually, if I had a real rope, I don't know if that would matter either. But, but let's say this chair is the miracle I need. This chair is what I'm hoping for. This chair is what I'm believing God for. That's what I need in my life. That's, that's the job I need. That's the healing I need. That's the marriage being restored. That's being set free from whatever issues I'm dealing with. This is the mirror. This is the lost son, the lost daughter that I'm believing God for. That is the chair that I need in my life. Now, I don't physically have that chair in my hand yet, but what I can do when I release my faith, when I speak out into the situation, when I speak out loud into the situation, then what happens is I rope that chair. Oh, almost, almost. All right. Let me try one more time. Works better when I got a real rope. Now, okay. All right. Forget that. Let me show you how this works. That's real cowboying right there. Okay, so this rope is my faith. That chair is what I'm hoping for. That chair is what I'm believing God for. That chair is the miracle that I need in life. Now, I don't have the chair in my hand, but do you see that I have the chair by faith? 
See, I'm not fighting to get anything. I'm fighting to hold on to what I already have. I have the answer by faith. I have the miracle by faith. It's not in my hand. It hasn't materialized. It hasn't come to fruit yet, but I have it by faith. So let me explain how you fight the fight of faith. You're holding on for dear life because you need that miracle. You're trusting God for that miracle. You need to see that. And then all of a sudden, Satan comes up to you and begins to whisper in your ear, why do you think God's going to give that to you? Why do you think God's going to answer your prayer? Look at your life. You're a sinner. Look at your past. You're not good enough. Do you think God, God doesn't love you the way he loves everyone else? God's not going to do it. You're unlovable. You've got problems. and You're not perfect. You've got these issues. You've got the, God, God's not going to give it. And what Satan does is he whispers in your ear and you're fighting to hold on. You're fighting to hold on. And Satan whispers in your ear because what Satan wants you to do is let go of your faith before you have the miracle. And how many people do you know gave up their faith right before the miracle happened? Gave up their faith. So you're fighting the fight of faith and Satan's coming at you saying, God doesn't love you. God's not going to give it to you. He'll give it to everyone else. But God doesn't love you. Why do you think you're going to have that miracle? What have you done in your life to earn it? You haven't earned it. You're not good enough to get it. You need to try harder. You need to work harder because you're not, you're not, God's not just going to give it to you. And you're just fighting to hold on and you're fighting to hold on and you're fighting to hold on. And that's what the fight of faith is. You can't let go of your faith. That's why the Bible says, uh, do not grow weary, for in due season you will reap if you don't lose heart. So you're fighting the fight of faith, and Satan is whispering in your eye, and you're saying, Satan, forget that. God loves me by grace. I don't have to earn it. I am not condemned. I don't live under shame. God loves me, and he wants me to have this promise. He wants me to have this miracle, and I've got it by faith, and I'm not going to let go of it because I have it by faith. It may not be in my hand, but I've got it by faith, and I've got it by faith, and I got it, and then all of a sudden I get it. See, now I don't have it by faith anymore. I have the miracle. The miracle's in my life because I didn't let go of my faith. And you're going to get in a fight of your faith. This life we live in is tough. You're going to have to fight sometimes. And you're going to have to trust God sometimes. And you're going to have to believe God. And you're going to have to release your faith. You're going to have to speak it out there. Some of you today... You need to go home and find somewhere where you feel comfortable talking out loud. You need to start releasing your faith with the spoken tongue. You need to start pulling the trigger. Some of you just need to be encouraged to hold on, to not let go. That miracle's coming. That mir- you, you just got to hold on and hold on and hold on for dear life, and it looks impossible. And that's the thing about a mustard seed. You plant that mustard seed, the earth on top of the mustard seed weighs a thousand times what that little seed weighs. And yet that little mustard seed, Jesus said the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. That you, you plant that mustard seed, that dirt is a thousand times heavier. Yet that mustard seed begins to grow and turns into this giant mustard tree. All you got to do is hold on to your faith. All you got to do is not let go. You're fighting to hold on to the promise. It hasn't materialized. It hasn't shown up. But you've got it by faith. Don't let go. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Some of you need to take the first step. The first step for you is to get in Christ. Maybe you've never made a decision, a public decision to follow Christ, to be a follower of Jesus, to be what we call a Christian. 
to be born again, to have a brand new life. You don't have to live by yourself anymore. You can live in Christ. You can live with a God that loves you, a God that wants to give you his faith, a God that wants to bless you, a God that is there for you. doesn't mean life's going to be easy, but it means you're going to have a God on your side. You don't have to live alone anymore. So for some of you, the first step this morning is saying yes to God. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if there's anyone in this room that needs to make a decision for Jesus Christ today, whether for the first time or maybe you've fallen away from him and it's time to come back, if that's you this morning with every eye closed, would you lift up your hand so I can see you and pray for you right now? Thank you, thank you. Raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Who else? Thank you. Many of you raised your hand. What I'd like to do now is I want a chance to pray with those of you that raised your hand. We don't do this every week, but I believe today this is a fight. This is a fight of faith. This is a fight of salvation. The first step of faith is believing in God to save you and speaking that out loud. So those of you that raised your hand, or if you're sitting with anyone that raised their hand, would you just make a stand with me? Just stand up to your feet right now if you raise your hand. If you're with somebody, have them stand up with you. You don't have to do it by yourself. This is a family thing. So right now, if you raise your hand, just stand up right now so I can pray with you. This is a fight of faith right now. Thank you. Stand up. Thank you. Thank you. Stand up. If I could have people go stand with everyone who's standing, right now begin to stand up. Stand up all over this room. I don't want anyone standing by themselves. Would you join me for prayer at this altar? Would you, would you come down and just join me for prayer this morning? Those of you that are standing. We're going to close this service a little differently today. If you need to slip out, feel free to slip out. If some of you are fighting right now to hold on to your faith, you're struggling. Maybe you're dealing with condemnation. Maybe you're dealing with shame. Maybe you're dealing with guilt. Maybe you just think you're unlovable. God's not going to answer you. God's not going to help you. And you're at the verge of letting go of your faith. I want those that are standing up, and I want those of you that just need a a new passion to fight the fight of faith. I want you to join me at this altar. Everybody stand up just where you're sitting. Just stand up to make it easy. And And if you need prayer, if you need the encouragement to keep holding on, and those of you that raised your hand for salvation, come down right now, and we're just going to pray for a few minutes. If I can have the prayer team come, elders and leaders, if you'll come and pray, just just face the front. We're going to we're just going to worship God and pray right now. If people just begin to pray, come. And if you need to leave, feel free to leave. Uh, you're dismissed. Those of you that need prayer, just come on down to the front.